0: Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Welcome everyone, this is Gus Kearns, we're here for the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. You can follow the podcast at SDS on Twitter, Efficiency of Keystrokes, of course, and you are listening to the Screen the Screener Podcast Team Preview Series. My co-host, Mike, and I are previewing as many college basketball teams as, as possible for the upcoming 2018-2019 College Hoop Season. Each episode, we're going to be joined by a select beat writer or particular insider to talk about the team, the coach, the outlook for the season, maybe even do a prediction. This episode, we're going to be featuring Harvard Crimson. That's right. We're going to talk a little Ivy basketball. We're going to talk with David Tenwell. David writes for Harvard Magazine. He also has written for SB Nation, and he even contributes to New America. So David is varied in his interests and writing topics. You can follow David at D-T-A-N-N-E-N-W-A-L-D on Twitter. He is a good follow. A couple of things we talked about Harvard is who do they have coming back? We know about some of that killer junior class that is still all enrolled. We talked about some of the bench players. We even compared Wendell Carter and some divine intervention. We even talked some financial aid. Hey, we even talked... Who would win one-on-one? Brown from the Celtics or Seth Towns? We think we might have some evidence. Even got a little sprinkling of Grant Hill in there. I think you got everything you want from this conversation. David was really kind and thoughtful with his responses. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy the conversation about Harvard basketball and Ivy on the whole with David. Cheers. Welcome in listeners to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. We're excited to have David Tannenwald, who's going to help us out to catch up with the Ivy League and especially Harvard basketball. David, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Uh, how's everything going today?
1: Everything's going great. And thanks for having me. How's
0: everything with you? Uh, we're we're real good down here in Jersey. Uh, we appreciate you reaching out from uh, up north. And uh, let, let's dive right into some Harvard hoops here. The team that they have coming back, totally stacked, lots of experience. And I think I just want to start with your view and your scouting report on junior Bryce Aiken. Six-foot guard is back after like a really uneven sophomore season, averaged 14 points with shooting numbers that are not in the neighborhood that he's used to. He does have a burst and change of gears that allows that six-foot guard to find college success. Is he healthy? What improvements are we going to see from his game? And can he be as special as he was as a sophomore during his junior year? And is he going to play with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder?
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of zeroing in and on Bryce. His freshman year was really spectacular. There were games when he carried Harvard as a freshman, especially the Ivy League tournament semifinal. And I think the question now in terms of whether he can make the jump to being an even more elite player, is can he also make players around him better? And so the way I talked to Coach Amaker about this after Bryce's freshman year, and the way he framed it is Bryce's shot-making ability is impeccable, right? Like, he'll beat guys off the dribble, he has these fadeaway jumpers, step backs. I mean, it's really impressive stuff. But for some of the most elite players who've gone through the Harvard program under Amaker, one thing he likes to say is how many points are they responsible for versus how many points they score. So he's looking for playmakers, not just shot makers. So if you look at someone like Jeremy Lin, I think one of the things that I remember most, I mean, he obviously had so many amazing accomplishments, but His senior year, they started out against Holy Cross, beat them by 10. Jeremy had 24 points. He scored 21 points in the second half. And I think there were three or four other guys, several of whom were freshmen who were in double figures or someone like Wesley Saunders when they beat Yale in the Ivy League tournament playoff in 2015. I think he had 22 points, something like that. But you know, the game winning shot came when three Yale defenders or something like that collapsed on him and he dished it out to a teammate who hit the game winning shot. So, with Bryce, you know, you alluded to some of like the other amazing players on the roster. It's can he find his shot, but still find Seth Town for any Ivy League player of the year? Can he do late shot clock screen and rolls, or sometimes he dumps it off to Chris Lewis, who was a first female Ivy player? So, I think that's sort of the next step for, for Bryce. Um, in terms of his health, I honestly don't know. I haven't seen them play yet. You know, the latest that I sort of heard on Twitter was the guest with that, was that he ends up who had a knee injury would be fully healthy. But that's actually a little bit of a mystery going into the season, at least as far as I know. So, yeah, those are some of my thoughts on Bryce.
0: That's an awesome breakdown. Holy cow. Uh, Great comparisons, by the way. Excellent comps. You know, some of the players on the roster that you're saying and mentioning that he might kick to or look to or try to advance their game might be Corey Johnson and Christian Huzang, who I was – really impressed with last year after he took some of that playing time when Bryce was hurt. What type of leadership role do those two guys play on the practice floor in the locker room and off the bench? I really love what Huzang did last year with more minutes. Do you think that he's going to find some balance next to Bryce? And talk about how impactful those guys are, not just as players, but also for the team vibe and the team chemistry.
1: Yeah, so I think you're picking up on something really important there. So one of the things that struck me about this Harvard team is that I think it's the first time since the 2012-2013 season when no one on the team has played in the NCAA tournament. You know, so Mm. Harvard's last NCAA run was 2015 when they lost to UNC. So last year's seniors were freshmen on that team. So now I think that means a couple things. One is that I think the seniors become more important because of that. Because, you know, they don't have the experience of going to the NCAAs, but they know this is their last shot. And so someone like Corey, who's played a lot the last three years, and also just has a really important role as the team's best outside shooter. And Amaker loves to have someone, I mean, every coach loves to have someone who can stretch the opponent's defense. So Corey's ability to make shots makes a big difference. But I think the impression that he and I would also add Wisner Perez to that conversation, who's a fellow co-captain, a senior He doesn't get a lot of playing time, but when he does play, he makes a big impact. He scored 15 points at Kansas his freshman year in a game that was pretty competitive in the second half. So I think part of it is those guys are going to create a sense of urgency that will be important. Christian, I think, is sort of like an Ironman in some ways. I don't know the exact numbers, but when Bryce was sort of shut down for the season, Christian was playing, I think, over 35 minutes a night in Ivy League play. And those are back-to-back games.
0: Your weekend game schedule is absolutely nuts. So asking somebody like Christian to do that back-to-back games is super impressive.
1: Yeah. And what I would add to that is, so, you know, Amaker was having him pick up the opposing team's point guard, basically full court. And he was doing that not necessarily to try to generate turnovers, but Christian's just in amazing physical condition. So something Amaker, you know, said when he started playing more, is Christian came into the season and really excelled in our fitness drills. So he has the, just the physical ability to do that, to basically play like, you know, 94 feet of defense. The other thing that's interesting about Christian is, you know, he didn't play much as a freshman. I, one of the things I remember is in the game against Sanford and Shanghai, there was one play where mm-hmm. he didn't get back on defense as quickly as Siani Chambers, who is the senior co-captain and point guard at the time, uh, wanted him right. to. And I probably can't repeat what Siani said in um, something that's going to be broadcast, but, like, it was, like, one of the most intense things I've ever seen. And I don't know, maybe that, that's actually a slight exaggeration. It was a pretty intense criticism, you know? Okay. And so, you know, part of it's how Christian's game has evolved and matured in a very short period of time. So, yes, I think he's going to find time alongside Bryce. You know, there's some other guys in the Harvard backcourt. Uh, Tommy McCarthy, is senior point guard, who played a lot as a freshman. Spencer Friedman is a freshman um, who is a highly-touted recruit. So, I think some of those guys might move on and off the ball, but I think I think you'll see Christian. I think he really established himself last year. Wow, yeah,
0: I, I was super impressed with what he what he brought to the table last year. I think we'd be remiss if we talked about like the junior class without talking about like Justin Bassey. He do can, can shoot it. We talked about Aiken yeah. before, but I mean the Player of the Year, Seth Towns. I think we have to attack there and give a little breakdown he's got some interesting elements to his game. He can absolutely shoot it from three. you think he can just break down towns' game like via scouting report or what he really is really elite at. And can he be one of the elite shooters, not just in the Ivy, not just on the East coast,
1: but maybe one of the elite shooters in college hoops this season. So that's another really great question. And I mean, so yes, Seth was really extraordinary last year, especially in Ivy league play. Yeah. Um, I was actually looking at the numbers last night and, he shot a higher percentage from three in Ivy play than he did from, for his overall field goal percentage. So he was 49.3% from three and 45.8% from two So I mean, for, for his overall field goal percentage. So that's like a pretty good place to start from. In terms of whether he can become one of the elite shooters in college basketball, so I think part of it will hinge on can he put together a consistent, complete season. You yeah. know, as much as really stuff and the whole team – excelled in conference play. They were inconsistent in non-conference play. And honestly some of that was just some really, you know, weird stuff that happened. Um, a lot of the teams in the tournament they played in over Thanksgiving in California got sick. Mm-hmm. There was some virus going around and that took a toll on Seth. So, you know, if you sort of look through his games last year, I think there were a couple of games in California he didn't play in. I think he had maybe two points in eleven minutes at Northeastern and then he dropped twenty five on Kentucky. 36 hours later. You know, some of that's illness, but some of that's can become more consistent. I think, you know, what goes into that is not just what he does on offense, and I can break that down a little bit more, but it's also defending without fouling, which is something that Amaker really emphasized for him at the start mm-hmm. of his career. So, you know, and that also comes down to fitness and really just making sure that he is staying in front of guys. And so one of the coolest sequences for him last year was they had this game at Fordham that was really in some ways painful to watch. I think Harvard won 47-45, and they trailed, I think, the entire game until Seth hit a three coincidentally off a pass from Bryce to put them ahead. And then Seth played great defense against Fordham's best player on the next possession without fouling him and forced a tough shot. So those are the things that I think, you know, actually make a big difference that don't always come across when he has these great shots or, you know, these, like, dunks or stuff like that. But to talk more about his offensive game, I think he is a great shooter. But it's also his versatility on offense. He can post up smaller guards. He's a very really mm-hmm. good um, one-on-one player. Whether it's taking an outside shot or beating guys to the basket, so I think his effectiveness comes in part from his ability to be, beat you in different ways. And especially in the Ivy League, if someone knows that, like you know, he can break you down off the dribble, you might sag back a little bit, and then okay, he's going to hit a three in your face. So. I think the short answer to your question is yes. I think he's only getting better. Health is the question for him. He got injured in the Ivy League Tournament Championship game last year. But um, yeah. Seth is healthy. He's I, mean, I even heard he beat Jalen Brown from the Celtics in one-on-one. I don't know if that's actually true, but there was a rumor circulating about that. We can make that urban legend right here on the podcast. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should emphasize that is, that is not something I saw in person. That's not something I've heard confirmed. But there is definitely some chatter about that. And the fact that like it seems believable, I think, speaks to Seth's talent. The other thing I'd say, and I, you know, this is not unique to him on the Harvard team, but it's something that struck me, is he's a really thoughtful guy, a really thoughtful guy. Um, they had an event earlier in the semester with Arnie Duncan, who was the Secretary of Education uh, under President Obama for most of his administration. And he was actually, he's a really good basketball player. He played at Harvard. So Seth was the only one on the team who got up in the middle of the whole forum at the Kennedy School who wanted to ask, Uh, Arnie Duncan a question and you know it doesn't uh, like all of those guys are really thoughtful and bright but that's just as someone who you know he's talked about how he wants to make a positive impact in the world so um, I think he's worth watching for what he does off the court not just what he does on the court
0: and sometimes that's some those are some of the best stories in college hoops I mean if we go back and think about like uh, Nigel Hayes from Wisconsin it's almost like as as talented as he was off the court on the court sometimes his off the court stances and movements and statements caught more of the attention. It sounds like Towns might actually fall into that category on both fronts. You know, success on the court and interesting, intelligent student athlete stances off the court. That's really cool. And I'm hoping he stays healthy too. That's all I want to see. And I think we can run with this. You know, one on one game against Jalen Brown. I think that sounds that sounds like a great story to share out. All right, let's talk. Let's Fair talk, enough. Coach. Uh, you know, Coach Amaker has kind of done everything since he's been at Harvard. He uh, and and beforehand, he's been a successful player. He's coaching the Big East, the Big Ten, but now this kind of feels like home for Coach Amaker. What are the traits and the characteristics that allow Coach to bring in like impactful players like Towns or like Aiken while still adhering to the firm? ish, Ivy, Harvard academic standards. So let's talk about that balancing act. And what are the strengths that make coach able to pull off that, you know, circus juggling act with the limiting guidelines?
1: Yeah. So I think there are a number of things that go into this. So I'll try to break those down. I and mean, I think one is truthfully his pedigree. If mm-hmm. you can say that you played point guard for coach K, it's never a bad way to start a conversation, right. you know? And then I think the other thing is his resume, it's not just a line on a resume. It's, it sort of builds over the years. So when he got hired to coach as an assistant at Duke, um, the folklore is one of the first things that Coach K said to him is, okay, great to have you on staff. Now go recruit Grant Hill. So he went and recruited Grant Hill. And, you know, then, gosh, I mean, I don't know exactly what the time was. It probably would have been around 2009. He's recruiting Dwight Powell, who, you know, I think he now plays for the Mavericks, went to Stanford Mm -hmm. ultimately, but Dwight Powell is on campus for the Harvard, um, you know, camp for prospects, and who's there? Grant Hill. And I think, you know, part of the message Amaker was sending to Dwight was, you could sort of be like the Grant Hill of the Harvard program. So in some ways, you know, he really leverages that history. So I think that's part of it. He's been a great recruiter sort of every step of the way. You know, at Eden Hall. I think he put together the top class in the country in 2000 with Eddie Griffin and a couple top 20 prospects. Yeah, yeah. I remember that team really well, yeah. Yeah, but you know, so I know your questions about Harvard specifically. So I think there are a few things. One is his arrival coincided with a shift in the university's financial aid policy. And I don't know all the ins and outs as it currently stands, but basically, if your family is making less than, I think in 2006, I was trying to read about this more last night, less than $60,000 a year, your family will not pay. You know, I think there's some sort of student job stuff that goes into it, but it makes it easier to compete with scholarship programs when you can basically say, like, look, financial aid is so generous and it has nothing to do with athletics. This is part of an effort to broaden the school's socioeconomic you know, base, basically, and make it more inclusive. But it makes it easier to compete with scholarship schools. I think another piece for him is he's built some really strong relationships Across campus, and those people become advocates for him. And in some ways, they're almost like recruiters in and of themselves. So, you know, for the weekend when they typically host a lot of the big prospects in September, there might be an open gym where the director of the Institute of Politics is there. And so, if a student who's interested in American politics wants to see what it would be like to study Harvard, he knows he can have that access. Um, I remember when they had Wendell Carter on campus, who you know, at Harvard in his top top four or five, you know, the sermon at church that morning was from, you know, Amberger, uh, Coach Amaker is pretty close to the minister at Memorial Church. who's a mentor and advisor to a lot of the guys on the team. And I think the sermon might have sort of been geared toward doing amazing things, and stuff like that, you know. So, but, but I think what it also shows is this is about more than basketball. And I think for Coach Amaker, that's true. And then you can also illuminate that for the players and their families You can see they'll have the opportunity to build relationships with people across campus just as he has, And I also, I will say, I think Jeremy Lin made a big, big difference early on. Yeah, and still does. so if you can say, you know, if you have NBA aspirations, he is a living breathing embodiment of the fulfillment of those dreams. And so I think that helps a lot too.
0: You know what? It's funny when I was trying to put together of, you know, the lineage of how Harvard came to where it's at now, where it's one of the powers in the Ivy and a threat every year. You know the coinciding with with Lynn and his explosion in New York City, especially, but then his sustained success in the NBA overall that that's got to partner nicely and be an unbelievable conduit that anybody coming in on a recruiting trip is going to hear in their ear. And that's funny, you you mentioned the divine intervention uh, when Wendell Carter came on campus. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to wrap, I'll wrap uh, a couple of questions into one here. You know, we talked about the team identity and the vibe. And the Ivy is now always dangerous in March. You know, nobody kind of wants to see the the Ivy invite team next to their name in the bracket. And, like, I feel like I've kind of talked myself into Harvard maybe being one of these dangerous teams that could be like the next Loyola Chicago and, and, and may make that run really deep into the tournament. So give us a couple of reasons why this Harvard team is special. What's the vibe. And am I crazy? Am I nuts to think that this Harvard team could be potentially a loyal Chicago type threat in March, if they win the Ivy tournament,
1: uh, the the four way tournament at uh, the end of the Ivy season. So, I think it's difficult to predict, um, right. and you're definitely not crazy. This is a team that has you know, a junior class with four top 100 guys um, that was a top 10 recruiting class coming out of high school, so it's not unreasonable to think this is a team that could make some noise in March. Having said that, what I would say is the first step is can they get there, as you said, and right. Penn is the defending Ivy League tournament champion, and they beat Harvard last year they return a lot of their top players, like A.J. Bordeaux. You know, Yale has Mie who some say is the best NBA prospect in the league. Sure. Hosting the Ivy League tournament this year. And honestly, if I were to run down the just the sort of the Ivy League, it's actually really, really strong. Like, Harvard lost at Columbia, I think, three straight years or something like that. Yes, Smith um, is a stud. He's like a real guard uh, down at Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also just speaks to the challenging... League slate. Like Princeton has the top recruit in the league, basically, like a top 100 point guard. He's really, really good. So, you know, the first question is can they get through the league? And I think they can, but I don't think it's guaranteed by any stretch. As for what would set them apart in March, a couple things have stood out to me when Harvard has played really high major teams under Amaker. One Mm -hmm. is their ability to play defense. Um, I think they were tied with Dartmouth for having the lowest scoring offense in the league last season. But they had the best scoring defense. And, you know, when they played Florida State in the battle for Atlantis in 2011, I think they won 46-41. You know, so, like, they will guard and they will guard you with discipline. And they also have the athleticism to guard some of like, you know, like Wesley Saunders, shed, you know, contained one of UNC's best players in the tournament in 2016. Yeah. So there are guys like that on this team who can do that. I think the other thing is that on offense, they're versatile and can beat you in different ways. Part of the, you know, sort of lore of the Princeton offense is that, you know, they'll run the shot clock down and they'll lull you to sleep and they'll beat you with a backdoor cut. So Harvard can, you know, they can run their sort of motion offense. It's going to use up 25 seconds and then sort of have a bunch of ball reversals and post touches that, you know, get you out of position. Then they also can get up and down the floor and fast break, right? So they're very versatile. I think the experience helps, although they haven't played a ton with just their sort of core cohesive unit like that Cornell Sweet Sixteen team did in 2010. You know, Bryce was out last year. Sianni and Zena were still there as freshmen. So, you know, I think, and then there's also the star power: Bryce and Seth and Chris Lewis and Justin Dassey, They're not going to be afraid of anybody, and I think Bryce and Seth have the ability. If you know, if both of them go off on the same night, that's the kind of thing where you know you could see them making a little bit of noise, but I think it's important to have the caveat that the league is truly, truly deep in balance.
0: Yeah. I, I, just, just to talk about that for two seconds. Do you think that anybody yeah. has a shot to bust into that final four from the H and eight? Like, I feel like yeah. Yale Penn Princeton and Harvard are like the top four teams. Do you think there's another team sleeper wise that might jump in there
1: at all? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so if you sort of look at Cornell, which was, in the tournament last yeah. year. They okay. lost Stone to who's transferring to Arizona. They bring back Matt Morgan, who averaged, I believe, 22.5 points per game. And, you know, he, he will beat some teams. He will help them win, like, five or six Ivy League games, in my opinion, just right there, or a he, bunch of, I don't he, know the exact numbers. He's you know? going to be like uh,
0: Melo Tremble was a couple years ago for Maryland, where he just, like, wins four games by himself in the last
1: two minutes, right? I could totally see that. And, I mean, yeah. he's really, he's an elite player. And he's, he's He's been around you know, I think he's a senior this year, so that's that's one factor. Brown has a the reigning Ivy League rookie of the Year, Desmond Cambridge, who I think was the unanimous Ivy League rookie of the Year, and they have some other good players there um like I said, Harvard has lost at Columbia three straight years, you know, yes. and I think sort of all of those teams were knocking on the door for that fourth seed last year along with Princeton. you know, I said, my sense is that Dartmouth is still sort of a, a work in progress um. You know, they have a new coat, relatively new coach, David McLaughlin, um, who's brought in some really good recruits. He lost to Evan Boudreau, who transferred uh, to Purdue. You know, Miles yep. White, who was once I League Rookie of the Year graduated to so my sense. You know, if I were to sort of pigeonhole one team that might be a year or two away, it might be Dartmouth, but, you know, never say never. I think they beat Princeton last year. So, yeah, that's sort of my <laughs> take on the league, you know? Uh, ec-
0: excellent yeah. short take. Let's get you out of here on this one. Okay. I-, I wanted to mention uh, Noah Kirkwood uh, because he's one of yeah. those impact freshmen. Um, so just really quickly, besides Kirkwood, is there any other, are any of the other incoming freshmen going to be as impactful and can shoot it as well as he can because that kid can flat out shoot?
1: Yeah. So I think the other person – the other freshman I've heard the most about is Spencer Friedman, who's a point guard out of Matter Day in California, um, who I think is a, one of these playmakers, right? So if you're thinking about someone who's not just a shot maker, but can make plays, right? I think Friedman could be that guy. He had offers from USC and Washington, so he's at that level. And I think, you know, in terms of someone who can help sort of, you know, be a, another point guard who Amber can turn to in a position where there's sort of Cincinnati Chambers and Bryce's injury, there's been a little bit of uncertainty about that. I would point to him. Um, you know, there's some other really interesting and talented freshmen too. Kale Catching, uh, Mason Forbes. Forbes is called the eraser in high school because of his shot blocking ability. I think he's six nine. You know, has really sort of long wingspan. So you know, Amaker likes rim protectors. Um, I don't know as much about Kale's game, but um, his aunt is Tamika Catchings for what that's worth. So there's there's impressive lineage at the very least. Oh, without
0: question, that sounds about right. And then, how about this? You just want to talk about some of the uh, games on the schedule, and then uh, what what kind of opportunity do these games hold for for the Crimson? We got Vermont, UNC, St. Mary's, Rhodey, UMass, a sneaky good San Francisco team, super aggressive schedule. So, talk about some of the opportunity that awaits this Harvard squad with uh, the the the, the pre Ivy uh,
1: schedule that they have lined up. Yeah, so it's um. I think it's an interesting mix, and the different games present different sets of challenges. So sort of the crown jewel of the game at North Carolina on January 2nd. You know, that's the kind of win that would be a signature win for the program. Harvard almost beat them in the NCAAs. If they can go into the, you know, to North Carolina's gym where the Amaker is a former Duke point guard and win that game, that would be extraordinary. Um, St. Mary's is a team that just, you know, demolished them last year. Um, They played St. Mary's very close, I want to say it was in the 2012-2013 season, so that would be a really good win. Um, You know, I think in some ways, the more interesting games might be the less immediately exciting games. So that game at Vermont in December, it kind of simulates Ivy League road games, right? Sure. Up there in northern New England, Vermont's a really, really good program, especially at home. and. You know, that gym on a Saturday night in December is going to be packed. It's going to be loud. And if Harvard can pull out a game like that, to me, that's a sign that this group of highly talented players is starting to coalesce as they're just a few weeks away from the start of Ivy League play. Um, and then truthfully, they're teams on the schedule that they're expected to beat. And the question is, do they actually beat them? And I don't want to give anyone locker room material or, you know, whatever the, the phrase is, or, you know, to put up on the bulletin board, so to speak. But, you know, they've lost to the Holy Cross several years in a row. And Holy Cross is an excellent program. Actually, they one of their senior leaders is the older brother of the Harvard Women's Star Point Guard, Patrick Benson and Katie Benson. But, you know, before, sure. like, if Harvard is going to be a team that can make noise in the NCAA tournament, you have to sort of establish yourself, I think, as a team that will not only beat some of the less elite programs on the schedule, but like those Harvard teams that were going to the NCAAs um, a few years ago were blowing those teams out. Right, so it needs to be not yeah. in our gym, not this year. Like we're gonna, we're gonna win, and we're gonna win big. And I'm not saying that's definitely gonna happen, but I think that's sort of like one thing I'll look for as a barometer of how it's good this team is.
0: Uh, yeah, that matchup with like Towns and Lamb and that Vermont game—that's gonna be pretty sick. I want to see those two guys matched up against one another. Um, David, we yeah. just want to say thank you, thank you for raising our knowledge level on the Ivy League on the whole, and especially Harvard. Thank you for giving the podcast a couple of minutes. And uh, best of luck this season. And uh, we'll have our eyes open to the Harvard Magazine for anything that you might put out. And uh, thank you so much for giving the podcast a couple of minutes here. Thanks for your time, and thanks for what you do, and thanks for having me. Huge thank you, David Tannerwald for talking some Harvard hoops with us. Really thoughtful Really thankful that he gave us a little time on the podcast. Again, you can follow David at D-T-A-N-N-E-N-W-A-L-D, wald You can find his work in the Harvard magazine. And if you're looking for anything else, he might show up on Sport SB Nation or even in New America. So thank you, David. Excellent conversation. And the part of the conversation that caught my ears and my ears perked up a little bit was that Fordham sequence that he mentioned where Harvard was just left for dead. And I have to tell you, I may have laid down 20 bucks on that game, and I kind of threw it away as a loss. Thankfully, Harvard came back, won by three in the closing seconds, and that's where my bookie comes. Right, guys? You know, ever since we started the podcast, people have been asking for advice. It's usually about who we like, who we like to win. People will Twitter us, people will ask us in person, so on and so on. Here's what I'm going to tell you. As much as we're going to tell you who we like in that game and maybe think that like, oh, hey, maybe Harvard will squeak one out against Fordham. Let's remember that where you're betting is just as important as what you're betting on. We encourage you to go to my bookie. That's why we always tell people, go to my bookie. We trust these guys. They're the best that you're going to, the best people that you're going to do business with as far as wagering. So lay down some cash. Win big today. They've been in business for years. They got great reviews online. Their mobile app is really agile and easy to use. We would only recommend My bookie if it's been good to us. And I got to tell you, that Fordham Harbor game, yeah, it was good to me. That's why we're urging you to go to MyBookie.ag. When you win, you get paid. They have in-game wagering. They have live betting. Some of the most rewarding player perks in the business. Fantasy football guys for the weekend out there. You can bet some over unders on fantasy points of how many points each player will score, which is kind of crazy. You want some NBA preseason action? You have that in play as well. Go to my bookie. And right now, if you type in the promo code SDS, they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. But please, when you're checking out and closing up shop, for that particular transaction, don't forget to punch in the promo code S V S, efficiency of keystrokes, of course, to activate that dollar for dollar offer. Visit my bookie today online. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code SDS when creating your account to claim that bonus. It's pretty simple, people. You play, you win, and you get paid for my bookie. So I just want to say thank you to David one more time for jumping on the podcast. David writes for Harvard Magazine, covers Harvard hoops. Just to give a little rundown of what David talked about uh, Harvard-wise, and then we'll do uh, a little Ivy recap for you on the overall, which David and I got into a touch. But let's just recap a couple things. Number one, let's hope Bryce Aiken is healthy, right? And he talked about his shot creation and maybe ball distribution and maybe finding a perfect balance or a better balance between those two because he is gifted as far as getting the ball into the basket and what he can do in small windows and small spaces. So let's hope Bryce Aiken is healthy and let's hope that he's ready to share the ball with those talented, talented roster that Crimson holds this year. And we talked about Corey Johnson, Christian Huzang. When David was talking about Huzang and his you know athletic prowess and what he's able to do, it reminded me a lot of what West Virginia asks their guards to do. And you remember we had Daxter Miles and Javon Carter wreaking havoc inside the Big 12. And it felt like Huzang might be a, of similar makeup being able to hand the responsibilities and the load on defense and on offense. And you heard that little story about Huzang. who didn't hustle back just that one time on defense. And David told the story of how uh, Chambers just totally kind of like got on his case and went a little vulgar on him. And I bet that that one interaction has rung true. And just being a former D1 athlete, I know when one of my seniors got on me as a, as a freshman, when I was, you know, half a in it, or maybe not, giving it the proper attention. I always reflected back on that conversation and said, I don't want to let that, you know, program lifer and that veteran down. So I bet Huzang is thinking about that conversation and maybe he plays it forward and gets on maybe somebody like Noah Kirkwood or another one of those freshmen that David mentioned that might be Finding his way a little bit and learning the ropes at Harvard. And I think we got to touch on Seth Towns a little bit, right? The player of the year in the Ivy. Uh, how about, how about that, you know, urban legend story, um, of Jalen Brown and Seth Towns going one on one in a, in a back gym somewhere up in Boston, you know, maybe in Harvard Square, uh, somewhere, maybe even in Davis Square right next door. And supposedly Seth Towns beat Jalen Brown one on one. I mean, that just speaks to how talented the kid is. I mean, and when you shoot at that percentage, you heard David's uh, quoting of the high percentage that Towns shot in conference, which was like near 48, 49%. That's why I asked a simple question. Could he be one of the elite shooters in college hoops all this season? Because you know he's a talented shooter. He shot at 44% from the floor overall, but in conference, he was kind of deadly and automatic from out there. So you want to see if his game expands that little bit. And, you he, you know, we talked about how his mid-range game is interesting and how he's not afraid to take the advantage, wherever that might be. Whether it's being uh, posting up in the, you know, down on the block, if he's got a smaller guard on him on a switch and just taking advantage of whatever the defense presents to him. And you heard about his thoughtfulness and his intelligence and that's not super surprising when we're talking about Ivy basketball but if you're going to stand out amongst a collection of student athletes such as that then I think that really speaks volumes for what kind of personality he is and what his perspective is on the world and on the whole so I don't know you kind of want to pay attention to see if he has anything that might catch your attention off the court forget about sh- jack and threes and winning an Ivy title, maybe he does something a little bit more important off the court. Always love like those personal stories. And I felt like the conversation about uh, Coach Amaker was really insightful as well. He talked about the adjustments uh, in the financial aid situation that Harvard put forward. And that was able to, you know, at least extrapolate out slightly their range of player that they're allowed to bring in amongst the, the harsh or, you know, firm academic standards that exist at Harvard and every Ivy school. And I thought that was interesting. And I thought that also the the tentacles that Coach Amaker has around campus and depending on what a potential student-athlete's interests are, he could steer them in that direction. to be honest, like that's what you're going to college for is to have those experiences in fields that, you know, gather your interest. So it was, (laughs) I thought the Wendell, Wendell Carter story was pretty cool. Um, also the story where he had Grant Hill in. I mean, that, that's also unbelievable. So once Tommy Amaker starts talking hoops to somebody. And you can bring up uh, Duke basketball. You can bring up Coach K. You can bring up Grant Hill. Like these, the, I mean, those are the heavy hitters. That that's, I mean, that's some clout right there. Uh, and as far as like the team identity, I'm, I'm glad that David didn't call me crazy for thinking that this team could be like the Loyola Chicago uh, of this year by making a Final Four run and, and those types of things. And you heard about their schedule. Their schedule seems kind of stacked, and there is opportunity that exists there for Harvard if they gather one of those games before prior to Ivy season starting. And just like uh, two cents on the Ivy season. He mentioned the, the term Man. These guys have to be in peak physical condition. They have to play four, two 40-minute games in the span of 72 hours at the most in the Ivy because they play that weekend schedule putting academics first. So don't sleep on the type of physical condition that most of these Ivy players are in, not just Harvard, but the entire league because they are asked to go pretty much balls to the wall here and and go full tilt uh two games, whether it be back to back or at least 24 hours in between, and then throw some travel in there too. Yikes. Kudos and props to those Ivy student athletes. And let's just talk a little Ivy on the overall, right? I think if we're gonna, you know, create some sort of first team all Ivy, I'm gonna start with Towns. He's a player of the year. I think it'd be silly not to start with him. I don't know if he'll repeat it as player of the year, but I think you have to put him on the on the first team somewhere. Uh, uh, Minye Onye from Yale has got some NBA buzz. He's a, a, a little bit longer than Towns, can shoot it just as well-ish. Maybe Towns is a slightly more advanced than him as a shooter, but he's one of these NBA-ish wing bodies that is definitely going to get some buzz Uh, during draft season and throughout the season. I bet we see some Yale highlights of uh, Onye kind of shooting it from deep and and breaking people down off the dribble. I'm going to give Bryce Aiken a healthy season. I'm going to put him on the first team as well. I think that he comes back and those shooting numbers resemble something from his freshman season, maybe even a little improved from then because it's not like he was an efficient shooter during his freshman season, but he was a little bit more dynamic so maybe those traditional numbers look a little bit more stat-friendly. Uh, how about Stevens from Princeton? I think he's a perfect two-way player on the Ivy. And I would put him, I think you have to put a Princeton guy somewhere on there. And, of course, we got to finish up the first team with Matt Morgan, right, from Cornell. Uh, one of the things I read over the summer is that his first three years at Cornell are, are somewhat similar uh, to Damian Lillard's first three seasons as far as points scored and percentages. Like, if you're getting compared to a first and second team all-NBA player and, you know, a, a top 10 pick in the NBA draft, I mean, that, that's, that's doing something. I wouldn't – and he had his name in the NBA draft uh, earlier in uh, this past season and withdrew his name, decided to come back to Cornell. So I think your first team is, is some combination of Towns. Uh, Onye from Yale, Bryce Aiken from Harvard, Stevens from Princeton, and Morgan from Cornell. Um, could uh, Smith from Columbia get on there yeah I don't see why not could um, another Yale player get on there yeah I, I don't see why not maybe could um, maybe uh, Kennedy from Princeton yeah I, I guess that makes sense but I'm going to stick with those five I think that's positive and then uh, of course we know that, that Harvard made the uh, Ivy final four tournament that takes place at the Palestra uh, which gives Penn like a you know, quasi home court advantage there. And whoever finishes in the top five in the, uh, I'm sorry, in the top four in the Ivy make that final four. And then they have a mini tournament to, 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 to figure out who the representative is going to be. And I think the four have to be Harvard, Yale. I think Princeton has a bounce back. And I think you have to include Penn in there, maybe on the outside looking in, maybe Cornell. They were in last year, but they do lose Stone Gettings. He didn't transfer. He's just sitting out this season. So next year, he could be a grad transfer, which I thought was an odd mood. Like, why wouldn't you want to play with Morgan your last season? Doesn't that make sense? So he might be a really hot name on the grad transfer market next season. Uh, so Cornell loses a, a double figure score that could be like, you know, Morgan's Batman. Uh, I, Columbia, I, I think with Jim Ingles, he's a little bit of like a mini offensive mastermind and can really coach. And you have Gabe Stefani there that can shoot it. He shot it over 45% from three. And we mentioned Smith before, who's like one of these tiny guards that can create and just shot make like crazy. I, I'm kind of rooting for the Lions to get in. I'd love to see Columbia make some noise. I thought that they were closer last year, but they, you know, they ended up finishing fifth, Ish, I think there's a tie for fifth last year, so they just missed out. But I think your final four is going to be Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Penn. And if I was going to pick a winner, I'd definitely pick Harvard. Uh, I think that title game of Harvard versus Yale, I'll put Yale in there too, is going to be must-watch TV. There could be some NBA-ish talent on the floor in an Ivy final, which is... I don't know, an interesting sentence to say, right guys? So I think that's where we're going to have the Ivy stack up. And I'm so glad that uh, David didn't call me crazy for thinking that Harvard could have a really special season and maybe think about moving beyond the first weekend of the tournament if they are the Ivy representative this season. So listeners out there, we just want to say thank you for tuning into the Screen to Screener Team Preview Series. We hope you like what you're listening to. While Mike and I are trying to bring you as much keyed-in intelligence as we can, if you really like what you're listening to, please give the podcast a follow on Twitter, SDS Podcast, Efficiency of Keystrokes. Of course, don't forget to give Mike a follow. He is entertaining, insightful, and educational all in one nice package, at Randall Rant on Twitter. And if you really like what you're listening to, don't be afraid to give the podcast a kind review on Apple iTunes or whatever your method of podcast consumption might be. We'd love to hear a review. We'd love to hear how we're doing. Maybe you can give us some, you know, advice on another team that we can look for or a team that you would like to hear some further insight of. Hit us up and put that in your review. That'd be really cool. Also, if you're looking for another further deeper dive from the Screen to Screener podcast, hit up the YouTube channel. We got a couple videos up on there uh, for team previews and a couple of individual previews. We'll try to put a few more up there based off of our interviews that we're getting together now. So hit up YouTube, punch in Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. We'll pop up. Uh, Subscribe, view, enjoy, comment if you'd like. That'd be great too. And one last final request uh, from the podcast. If you're interested in becoming part of the team, part of the family, you can look into becoming a Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast Patreon hit up the Patreon uh, website, punch in Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. There are multiple options that you can get involved in to support the podcast. Uh, the highest option, the most expensive option, gives you a additional podcast per week. Mike or I dial up whatever's on our minds for that week in college basketball, and then punch it out to you guys into your inbox for that weekend. You also get a cool t-shirt. As uh, I mentioned before, my little, my little baller daughter uh, took a look at the shirts, and she said, Daddy, you got merch? I said, yeah, I got merch for my people. So you get some merch from the Screen the Screener, and you have some input on the show. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, if there's something you'd like us to mull over, guess what? You get to comment on that, and then Mike, will pull some, Mike and I will pull something together together for you. You're a little bit on the board of directors, maybe an executive producer if you'd like. So listeners, thank you so much. Hope you're enjoying the Screen the Screener team preview series, and we will catch up with you sooner than you think. Cheers. Cilantro. Grazie a All right,